right, you guys can have a seat. Let's do this. Jump into the Word of God. Hey, if you have a Bible, you guys can open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's in your New Testament, deep into the back of your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's where we're going to be. Okay, <clears throat> let me first pray for us. We had a lot of announcements, but we had a great worship time, man. So I, I love how sometimes the songs line up perfectly with what I'm going to be talking about, what God's Word says. So Lord, thank you for this morning. We thank you for music and how it stirs our hearts and our affections towards you. I know a lot of times people, they, uh, as silly as it might sound, pick churches based on worship, and, um, but there is something true about how you can move us and move our hearts and so we love you, Lord. Thank you for the talent of our friends who can lead us. Um, and uh, thank you for speaker systems and all that, Lord, to where we can actually hear it in the front and in the back sometimes. But also, mo- most of all, Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this place that we get to be in, the fellowship, the safety that we have in here. Um, and uh, thank you for the season, God, how it constantly reminds us of you're an involved God You're not a deistic God who's in the distance. You are a God who's present and with us. So help us this morning, I pray. Spirit, move us. Elevate the eyes of our hearts that we might see and know and understand your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we've been in this series, and I apologize. I might have to hack a few times during this. But we've been in this series we call God's Church, and we call it God's Church, or I chose that name because the church really is God's. Amen? It's not Greg's. It's not the Pope's. It's not anybody's but God's. It belongs to him. And I wanted to go through this series because I wanted to take time to remind us of something that we easily forget because we are all just default legalists. Uh, We're prone towards religiosity. And we sometimes forget the beauty of what it means to be God's church. And so we started this whole series talking about how the church began. If you were here, you remember we were in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. And Jesus, who after accomplishing this brilliant ministry and accomplished this amazing um, uh, just accomplishment on the cross for us to save sinners from death in judgment by being death and judgment for sinners. After doing that, he hands off this ministry to a bunch of people just like you. It's weird and crazy, but he empowers them with his spirit, and the spirit comes within them, and they're able to speak and carry on the ministry that Jesus had taught them. And it just kicks off this amazing thing. And so at the beginning of the church, God is involved. It's his thing. He's kicking it off. He's doing it through human beings. The next week, Chet taught, I'm thankful for him, and we talked through what is the church known for? And uh, we talked about the church is known for its love for one another, John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus tells him, hey, a new commandment I give to you that you are to love one another, which is not new, but he says, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And then what does he say? By that. All people will know that you're my disciples. So what is Jesus basically saying to the whole world? Man, you want to know who are mine? Who is God's church? Look for those who love one another the way that I have loved them, who love each other with this sacrificial love, who care for one another, who bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, as Galatians says. 
And so we talked about that, what that looks like and how that, that first community, man, it was like almost natural for them. And how we got to work and strive by studying God's word to see what that really looks like to live that. We're going to talk about that. Then the next week, last week, I talked about uh, the mission of the church, which is what? Anybody? Make disciples. There we go. It's to make disciples, all right? And for the first disciples, it was to make them in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then, which is like, it's basically like he said, within five square miles, within 50 square miles, and then 5,000 miles, right? Like, it's just unbelievable. And for, I talked about how for Gal- Galilean fishermen, the term to the ends of the earth probably was like, a do what? Like, that is a long way. And we celebrated just the crazy miracle that 2,000 years uh, 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 later, we are the ends of the earth. What Jesus said to do, disciples have done for generation and generation, and now we're here. And I'm thankful to be a part of a generation that continues to want to do it. I'm planning to do it. So we talked about discipleship. And today, or just to make disciples. So today we're actually going to be talking about what does that even mean to make disciples? All right? What is discipleship? Is this discipleship? Yes. Good answer. Yes, it is discipleship. But what else is discipleship? So I'm going to start you guys off with my personal growing definition of discipleship, okay? If you, all of you have got an index card somewhere around you. If you're sitting on it, you've warmed it up, pull it out, hold on to it. If you've got a pen, you can use this. I always encourage people to take notes, not because everything I say is just so brilliant, um, but sometimes you're going to hear something and go, man, that's what I needed to hear. Here's what I want you guys to capture. Discipleship is leading, teaching, and passing on the way of Jesus according to his word and for his glory. It's the best definition of discipleship that your, your buddy Greg can come up with. The discipleship is leading, teaching, and passing on the way of Jesus, okay, according to his word and for his glory. And so we're going to look at three layers of discipleship, okay? I'm breaking discipleship into three layers that we're going to navigate through with 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4, and that's this. The first thing we're going to look at is leading and following. Then we're going to look at teaching and learning. And then we're going to conclude with a surprise, which is sending and saying goodbye. And that one's going to be really good, okay? Leading, following, teaching and learning, sending and saying goodbye. So let's start with leading and following. When you think of leading and following, what kind of image comes into your brain? Somebody shout it out. This is a free space. Do it. What do you think of leading and following? Somebody tell me something. What'd you say? Okay. Somebody repeat what he said. That's halfway clear. Sheep and a shepherd. So good. Love it. Somebody else. Hiking. Yep. Somebody leading. I did that for years. That's why I hate hiking now. Okay. Military. Absolutely. One of the first things that came to my mind. All right. Do we have this image? It's this. I just saw ducks. You ever seen a mom duck walking across the road, a bunch of little ducks falling behind? When I think of leading and following, man, I think this is one of the greatest pictures of leading and following. It's this family walking together. 
And one who is bigger and maybe knows a little more of what they're doing, telling the others, follow me, I'll show you where to go. Well, your Bible, guys, which is so incredibly good, shows us in Deuteronomy 6 a very similar picture. And God uses the family as a great picture to show you why leading and following starts at home, and it's so important. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, you don't have to flip there. I think it might be on the screen for you guys. Is it going to be on the screen? Come on now. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says. It says, hear, O Israel. This is talking to the people of God. You shall, and this is the greatest commandment. You guys, most of you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you know this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Greatest commandment. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All right? So there's this priority of the head duck needs to have the influence of this command on his heart or her heart. You with me? But then what it says next, famous, famous passage. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. I love about this is that it's basically saying, hey, the greatest commandment, which the rest of the commandments of your Bible are basically just trying to help you understand how to do it, all right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As Jesus later goes on in quoting uh, Leviticus 19, to love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. The rest of your Bible is just an explanation of how to do those two things. And he says, man, this is something that you do when you wake up and you're eating breakfast. This is something you do when you're just driving to work. This is something you do when you're hanging out. It's every area of your life. We're talking about it. Because it applies to where? Every area of your life. Discipleship is about everything in your life. So let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is a guy who, let's just be real, he knows the way of Jesus better than you. And way better than me. And he's been training a young man. The guy's name is Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. Anybody here named Timothy? Nobody. One? You pointed at him? Nice. I love it. So Timothy is a student, a disciple of Paul. And look what he says in verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, you, however, and he says, however, because he just described a whole group of people who don't really want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength who don't want to love their neighbor as themselves. They want to go their own way. But he says, Timothy, you, however, you followed my teaching. Follow, the key word. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. What a really cool thing. What he's saying here is basically it's like, hold on, I can mute it. See that? Athleticism right there? Um, uh, what he's saying to Timothy is this. Hey, you didn't just attend my seminary class. You just didn't hear me teaching. You followed it. Man, you saw my conduct, the way I live my life, and you walked the way I walk. The ways of my life that were a representation of Jesus' patience, you walked out that patience. This was not just some theoretical following. This was real, everyday life type discipleship. It was an in-the-streets type discipleship. 
even in the midst of really difficult seasons. You see what he says in there? Hey, when we got beat here, you were with me. When we got persecuted there, you were with me. When we suffered uh, uh, an outcry, derision, and all that here, you were with me. You were in it with me. This is a real life discipleship. That it's a, not a just talk about, but a walk about the way. Recently, guys, I've been doing something called uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's the reason why three weeks ago I had a black eye up here, okay? Some skinny little kid kicked me in the face. It was a bummer. And uh, I've been trying to pay him back ever since then, all right? But he's scrappy. And so here's what's really neat about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, okay? Is, okay, no offense to you guys who like karate. It's just not karate, okay? Uh, you tell me you do karate, I'm just not too nervous if we get in a fight. You tell me you're a, a purple belt in Jiu-Jitsu, you're going to scare me, all right? And here's what's really great. So because I've been doing this and because I talk about jujitsu, suddenly, you know, my phone is reading all of my, you know, all I'm talking about. So I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling the feed and uh, I see this video and it's this guy commentating because these two guys are getting in a fight on a basketball court, all right? And it's kind of like, you know, it's like a car wreck. You can't help but look. And so they're getting in a fight and one guy, all right, takes the first swing on another guy who is a purple belt in jujitsu. That may not mean anything to you. I invite you to go to Jason Potter's place and roll with a purple belt, okay? And then it might mean something. The guy takes a swing at him, barely misses, which puts him off balance, and the purple belt gets a hold of him. And when he gets a hold of him, takes him to the ground, it is show over. And this guy starts doing things to him that are just, uh, I've seen at the gym, I've felt them, they're abusive. And he eventually got, gets this guy's leg locked up and you can see he is telling him, and the guy who's commenting is, this guy right here can snap this man's leg easily if he wants to. And you can see the guy is trying to talk him down. He's telling him, I will break your leg if you don't back down. And here's the thing I want you to know. I tell you that because so much of Christian discipleship is a lot of YouTube watching and teaching, but not a, a lot of training and walking through it in the gym. Because guys, listen, that guy did not know how to do those things because he went to a jiu-jitsu gym and watched people do it. He doesn't know how to do those things uh, effectively because he watched a YouTube video about it. He didn't listen to a podcast about it and therefore knew how to do it. What did that guy do? He practiced the way with people who were better than him, who showed him how to do it, who broke it down for him and showed him and led him into the way. Do you understand? It's a real practical way. And so Jesus, Paul makes it clear that everyone who wants to follow in the way of Jesus needs to know how to do it in real life. Because real life is where it really happens. Look what he says in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Friends, listen to me. There's a lot of Christians who are just deceptive. They talk the game. But in the streets, as soon as persecution rises or a little criticism rises, they disappear. And he says, man, if you want to follow in the way of Jesus, find somebody who's walking in the way of Jesus. They're going to show you how to do this in a way that is real and practical, not theoretical. Because, guys, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was not theoretically crucified. And Jesus' teachings were not theoretical. They were real. 
and they were relevant for every aspect of your life. So what do you need to know about leading and following? Is that discipleship is a leading and following in every single part of your life, and your Bible applies this teaching in every part of your life. Let me give you some examples. The Bible has something to say about your friendships, about how to reconcile conflict, about how to, how to uh, operate in a marriage in a healthy way, about stewardship, about free time, how you eat and you drink, about encouraging others, about rebuking and correcting people. Now, you can go and read it, but hey, man, isn't it a different thing when somebody shows you how to do that and invites you in? So let's talk some application. Huh? Right? Is that good? You guys want that? So let's just talk about it. Now, I can't apply all this with you, but let me give you a few ideas. Where is your index card? Do you have it? You find it? Wave that thing at me. All right, good. You got one. All right. Take your index card. If you've got a pen, I want you to do this. All right? If you don't have a pen, use your phone to do this. Okay? Be creative. You can accomplish this. Here's what I want you to do. Let me just lead you in the way for a moment. I want you, pick a side, to write down the names of the people that you are discipling. Write them down. The names of the people you go, this is somebody that I'm discipling, leading in the way of Jesus. Okay, I want you to write it down. And on the other side, I want you to write the names of the people who are leading you in the way of Jesus. Not teaching you in the way, leading you in the way, as I've just described it. I want you to write down some names. Take some time. I want you to do that. I'll come back in a second. Okay, I gave you quite a bit of time. Um, I, so I've done this recently. If you go into my office, which one door you, can, you can't get through because we've got a sweet little lock on it, and the other door you can absolutely get through because the door's broken. So that's confusing. Um, but on my wall, I've got a list of 40 people that are part of what you just wrote down in my life, okay, which is just crazy. But here's what you need to understand. Who are the names that are on there, Okay. It's a lot of the people that I do everyday life with all the time. It's my family, all right, because I've got some ducklings in my house. They're in my discipleship. I lead my kids. So if you didn't write your kids' names down, guess what? You got one, two, three uh, matches, 17 uh, little ducklings who can follow you, okay? Now, here's the thing. Didn't I tell you that discipleship applies to everything? Some of you guys, when you were going to write down names, you didn't write some names because you're not leading a Bible study. Am I right? You're not leading in a Bible study, so you're going, I'm not leading in a Bible study, so I'm not discipling anybody. And I go, you're kind of a little bit wrong because a discipleship is everything. You need to understand, you walking in the way of Jesus or not walking in the way of Jesus is teaching everyone around you something. Something. I sometimes disciple my children in the wrong direction, not Christ's way. And Olivia, because she's a smart little cookie and manipulative, just like her dad, will go, Dad, why did you do that? That's, that's, you said you would do this, but you didn't do it. 
It's like, mm. And she's right. My discipleship did not line up with what I say I believe in. Hey, Olivia, would you please forgive me? Now, why did I ask forgiveness? Because the Bible teaches me to do that. Is that discipleship? That's discipleship. When I'm teaching my daughter how to wash dishes, we're talking about how we do a good job. That's discipleship. Now, is it the most important discipleship that she knows how to do dishes, or is the most important discipleship talking about the way of Jesus? Yeah, it's the way of Jesus. But we talk about when we sit down, when we lie down, when we eat dinner, when we do all these things. And listen, I want to be honest. I'm not that great with my family and my kids. I want to get better at it. So I have people in my life who show me how to do it better with my kids. Guys, if it applies to everything in your life, there should be more people on your list. Okay? So I tell you that because I don't want you to overthink it and I don't want you to underthink it. I just want you to realize you're influencing people around you all the time. Are you influencing them in the way of Christ? That's a question next that I want you to ask yourself. Is the way I live my life showing people the way of Jesus? Not that you're saved by grace through faith and by faith alone and Christ alone and all the solas because the way you handle your business is not going to show all the solas of theology but does it show the love of Christ, the kindness of Christ, being diligent, working with excellence? Does it show those things? And then do you then explain why you do that? Do you understand what I'm saying now? Somebody. Guys, this is one of, I'm showing you three things. This is probably like number one on the list of discipleship of what you think about is what I'm going to say in point two. It is far and away the only thing you guys think about. And then way below that is leading and following. And this is the reason why I just, be frank, struggled with being a part of the church. Because we wanted to talk a lot, but nobody wanted to show me how to do it. And I just got sick of hearing that all the time. Somebody show me, man. And show me why with Scripture. Let's do this. Okay? Here's the second thing. All right. You got nobody on your list. You call yourself a Christian. Let that be a warning to you. Okay? You should have some names on that list because everybody who is a disciple of Jesus is making disciples of others. Everyone. So here's what I want you to do. Go find somebody and invite them into your life, not just your Bible study. Invite them to come to dinner with you. Invite them to come to work with you. Invite, invite them to come uh, to a conflict resolution and tell them just to sit and listen and watch how you resolve conflict with somebody. Invite them in. Let them see the way you operate as you try to follow Jesus. Number two, anybody in this room ever said in your life, man, I just can't find anybody to disciple me? Anybody? Raise your hand. Be honest. I hear this all the time. Zoe and I were just talking about this. It's like all, nobody will disciple me. And it's like, okay, go ask somebody. So that's my next practical application. Do you want to be a disciple? Most of you would go, yes. All right? Maybe you guys are all tired right now, but you'd say yes. Here's what I want you to do. Go invite yourself in. Go, hey, you, will you disciple me? Can I come with you? Will you show me how you do this? How did you spank your kids, right? What does this look like? How do I show them Jesus? Would you show me? Here's what I want to tell you. Uh, young in the faith friends, a lot of the older in the faith friends, they don't think you want to listen to them, so they never invite you in. They're just as nervous as you are. So if we just meet each other in the middle, there might be a lot more discipleship in this community. You understand what I'm saying? So stop playing this, I don't know if they like me, and I don't know if she likes me. Don't play that game. Stop it. This is not a dating game. This is discipleship. Okay, so there we go. We walked through it. Don't wait. Go. Let's go to, that's leading and following. It's so important that you guys begin to see, stop attending services if you're not willing to lead others in the way of Jesus. Stop learning 
so much if you're not going to actually put that thing into practice and live it. I love C.S. Lewis says, 90% of the time, we don't need to learn something new. We just need to be reminded of what we already know. Okay. Paul's going to basically say that. Let's go to teaching and learning. All right? This is the most popular form of discipleship. You're doing it right now. I'm up here uh, teaching you something. You're maybe learning a few things. Okay? So Bible studies, Sunday sermons, podcasts, books. Guys, it is infinite. There are so many commentaries to read. There are so many Christian life books to read. There are so many sermons you can now download and listen to of guys who are way better at this than I am, right? So, so much. So let's talk about two lies. Lie number one is that this is the most important or the major part of discipleship. It's not. This is equal with leading others and encouraging them to follow you in the way of the teaching, is equal with that. So if you think this is the most important thing and this makes you a follower of Jesus because you're, you're learning a lot, let me tell you, you're only halfway there. You're missing a massive chunk. Find somebody who will show you the way. Lie number two, everybody is called to make disciples who is a disciple of Jesus. But the lie that a lot of you guys believe is you believe that you don't know enough so therefore you shouldn't teach. Let me tell you. There's a warning in when you don't know your Bible very well and you start being very uh, confident about what the Bible says, and you're wrong, that makes you dangerous. It's true. But John Piper doesn't even know all of what the Bible is trying to say, and he gets it wrong sometimes, and so does MacArthur, and they all disagree with each other and blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's the reality is, every Christian has something to say. Every Christian has something to teach, and let me tell you why. You can't be a Christian if you have nothing to teach. Because it means... You can't be a Christian if you haven't learned how to come to Christ. If you've learned how to come to Christ, you have something to say. Now, do you need to be humble? Somebody answer. Dang right you do. You better be humble about what you know, but you can be bold and confident about what you already know about Jesus. Let me give you three examples in your Bible of just people who, man, they don't know anything. Everyone in this room knows more about God and his word than these three people. The woman of the well meets Jesus, and the girl is just, let's just say she's a little banged up. But when she meets Jesus, he does not teach her, all right, the top eight core doctrines of what it means to be a Christian. He just says, I know everything you've ever done. And in that moment, she interacts with Jesus, and she knows something about Jesus that is enough to change her life, which is, you can't know that unless you're the Messiah, unless you're God. And she leaves and goes and tells her whole city about this guy that you need to come and see. Does she teach him all about the doctrines of Christ? No. But she said, man, you better go see him. And it leads to life transformation. She knew something and she said it because her life was transformed by Christ. Uh, Guy number two is the man born blind. I love this story. It's my favorite in the Gospels. This man was blind for 40 years. Uh, He suddenly can see. And what do you think you're going to do if you can suddenly see after 40 years? You're going to lose your mind. And so he draws attention from the guys who know the theology Guys who memorize the Torah, and they draw them in. Hey, tell us what happened. Who did this? And they question him and examine him. And you don't even know what you're talking about. You were born in sin. And he goes, listen, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Hey, all he knew was enough to point people in the right direction to Jesus. Let me tell you a third story. Jesus, when he was crucified on the crosses, there's two men on either side of him, right? One man mocked him. What did the other man do? The man, uh, that man rebuked the man who mocked. 
and turned to Jesus in faith and said, please remember me. And he believed that this is, this has got to be the Messiah. This is not right. We deserve to be here. You don't. Wow. And, and what did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Did he know all the theology? No, but he had something to say. And that testimony is in our Bible, and it fuels my faith. Thank God for that, man. Okay, so listen. You guys got to understand uh, the lies. Now, let's turn to Timothy, because some of you guys, man, you know your Bible really, really well. Thank God. Man, there's nothing better than people who know their Bibles really well. I love that. So Timothy's a guy who knows his Bible well. Let's go back to verse 14 of chapter 3. Okay, so in this discipleship, he looks at Timothy and he says, But as for you, continue in what you've already learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All right, so before we move on to the word, uh, Timothy had a real unique opportunity in that he had a mom and a grandmother who loved the Word of God, and they taught him the Word of God. When I say Word of God, they taught him the Old Testament scriptures. They showed it. They raised him in it. So mamas, you teaching your kids the Word of God is so powerful. Amen? Do it unashamedly, constantly. Men, that doesn't exclude you. You absolutely should do this. Actually, the imperative is on you, but mamas and grandmamas, Pray and teach your, your, your children and your grandchildren the word of God. It had such an influence on Timothy. And then eventually it catches the attention of this guy named Paul, apostle of Jesus. And he comes in and goes, let me just show you Jesus throughout the whole Old Testament. And so he had a unique opportunity. He says, man, hey, listen. He doesn't just tell him, go learn more things, Timothy, and then you'll be ready. He says, man, what you've already believed, what I have taught you, what your mom, your grandma, and me, what we have shown you, continue to live in these things. They don't have to change. They don't have to change. You've been taught. Now teach. That's where we're headed next. But what has he been taught? He's been taught the scriptures. Okay? He doesn't have a New Testament, but this includes the New Testament. All right? Go to 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. You'll see why. But he's telling him, man, the word of God is powerful. So let's go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This, guys, if you're looking for a memory verse, memorize this one. These two. So incredibly good. What he's about to tell him is, hey, you've been training the scriptures. Continue to believe the scriptures. And he's about to say what the scriptures are, what the scripture does, and what the scripture produces. You ready? Let's look at it. Verse 16. What is the scriptures? He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. What is scripture? It is what? It's the word of God. It's his breath. Okay? It's, so for you guys in the room who know your Bible pretty well, you know what God's word can do, right? You've read Genesis chapter 1. When God speaks, what happens? It creates. It creates this world you're sitting in. He created the trees that somebody chopped up and turned into these beams. It's keeping the roof from falling on your head. God's word has the power to create. But what did he do to make us unique from the rest of creation? He breathed a breath of life in us. In Latin, spiritum means breath. He gave you spirit. 
God's word is, I, I think John Piper gets it so right in his book. It's, uh, he wrote a book called Reading the Bible Supernaturally. And what he says in there is that the word of God is not just ink on a page. It's got power. So what does it do? Look at verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God because it's the word of God, and it is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Look, it's going to tell you, hey, man, that's a dangerous way to go. Hey, you should, stop, you should pull back from that direction. Hey, this is a great way to go. This is where you need to be. You want to, see, you want to see the right way that leads to life, the thing you're looking for? Man, this is the direction. It's going to show you the way of life. That's what it does. But here's where the secret sauce is. What does it produce? Look at this. It produces, verse 17, that the man and woman of God may be complete. Everyone say complete. All right, 12 of you. Equipped for every good work. This, guys, we cannot underestimate. Think for a moment how many advertisements you saw from Black Friday and all that stuff that are offering you something that's supposed to bring your completeness. Isn't everything about making you complete? I did not realize that I wasn't complete until I bought these special type of crates to store my other crap that was supposed to make me complete in. <laughs> but they keep popping up. Now they text me. Hey, by the way, Greg, 40% off on Cidio crates, and they look really cool. But my life's not going to be complete just because I can organize the other crap that didn't make me complete. You're going to be complete when you have this sexual encounter. You're going to be complete when you've gone to seminary. You're going to be complete when you've done this, that, and the other. But what it's saying to you is, listen, when you interact with the Word of God, you learn it, you bring it in, it's going to lead to your completeness. You don't have to believe that. But that's just what I'm telling you what the Bible tells you. It's going to lead to your completeness. It's going to equip you for every good work. I think that's... That, to me, seems really kind of a bold statement to make. Y'all should wrestle with that. I'm wrestling with it. I think it's really good. Okay. So that's what he's telling us. So listen, uh, discipleship is leading and following, showing people how to walk in the way, but it also includes teaching and learning. And listen, anybody in this room feel like they got a lot to learn about the Bible? Anybody feel that way? This thing is big and confusing. And I want to tell you something. I've spent the last 18 years reading it and learning it, not as well as others, uh, but I want to tell you, the more that I learn, actually, when I, when I left the Watermark Institute, my buddy asked me, he goes, hey, man, do you feel more confident? And I said, no, man, I feel way more humble. I feel like the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. Anybody deep in walking with Jesus, and you go, I feel the same way. Like, the more I learn about God, the more I go, what? I saw an interview, this gal, when... Um, What's his name? Billy Graham was in the hospital. He's like 92. And they, she came in to interview him. She goes, hey, do you feel like you've, you've arrived? Oh, that was weird. And, and Billy Graham, <laughs> yeah, that was like, wow, all right. I almost saw somebody was behind me. I was like, I guess we're closing out the message. Here we go. So if you're listening to the podcast, the music downstairs started playing, and it was really distracting. Um, but... She interviews him, and she said, Billy, do you feel like you've, you've arrived? Basically, he said, do you feel like you're complete? You finished the race. And he goes, no, I don't feel like I've arrived. He says, I feel like I've gotten to the edge of a precipice, and I'm looking out the, at the Grand Canyon of all there is to know about God, and I'm just getting started. What a brilliant thing to say. And so let's talk about application. There's so much to learn, guys. So 
what are some things I want you to take with you today? You already know discipleship is about teaching and learning. Well, one of the first things I want you guys to take away with today is, man, don't hold yourself back from teaching others just because you don't know everything. Don't hold yourself back. Tell others of the goodness of God. Guys, you know so much more than some of my friends who are dying for what they're sharing in China, for dying for what they're sharing in uh, Northeast Africa. And you know so much more, and you're in a land of peace. Share it, the peace of Jesus that he's given you. Do not hold back. It's the reason why in our community teams, you need to know this, in our community teams, we ask three questions. How are you feeding your soul? And what we mean by this, how are you connecting with Jesus? And one of the number one ways we expect you to connect with Jesus is that you devote to Scripture every day. You read it every day. And in community, we want everyone to have an opportunity to talk about what God has been teaching them. Why do we do that? Because our perspective on discipleship is we don't want you going into another room like this where you sit and listen, I teach you the Bible, you walk away, and it has some effect. We, need, we think there needs to be a room where you have every single one of you has an opportunity in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym to practice this move of sharing and teaching with one another so that when you get into the real world, into the streets, you could share with your friend what you've been learning. That's why we do this. That way, I want every one of you to get a chance. It's been amazing, man. I, my community's grown and changed a little bit, but one of my favorite people is Carson. Carson is somebody who did not know the Bible super well when we began this. But man, the further we went in community together, he became one of the best biblical counselors in our community. Because the brother, when we would share something or we confess something, he just opened up his Bible and goes, hey man, I got this verse, I want to read this to you. He just read it to us. That's teaching the word of God. And he would show me, and I'd go, oh my goodness, and I'd write that down. I need to pray that over my life. I need to know that. Do not sell yourself short, okay? Now, number two, if you are making disciples, I pray to God you are, all right? Pray to God you are. Making disciples, make the Bible your textbook. The thing is, if the world was Timothy's classroom, Paul makes it clear that the textbook was the Bible. It was the scripture. If you're in a community of people or a book club, and all the time you're reading like Francis Chan and John Piper and Matt Chandler and Timothy Keller, and that's all y'all do is read these books. Okay, listen, they're not bad, but they're only as good as they quote scripture. Your primary textbook needs to be the Bible. It's the inerrant word of God. Man, it's profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, training righteousness that you might be complete. I'm not telling you not to go read those guys. But if you're never reading the Bible, heck with those guys. Get them out and read your Bible. And so I want to tell you guys, you're in a brilliant country. Every one of you, it's so easy to buy 19 Bibles. Your Walmart carries Bibles. And I don't recommend some of the versions. But like, I tell you what, man, go in there and get one and read it. I'll buy you one if you can't get one. I will buy you one. But you guys got to read the word every single day. And I know it's intimidating and confusing. I started when I was 16 at doing this. And you think I was confused? Think about how confused 16-year-olds are, are in general. But after 18 years of reading the Bible, man, I tell you what. I go, wow, this thing is incredible. It's incredible. And the last point I have of application for you is, I don't care if you are a biblical scholar in this room. Stay humble and ask questions. Every one of you listen. 
Man, there's nothing more squelching in a church than when you're not allowed to ask questions. Stay humble, ask questions, walk with grace, grace, and be patient, which we're going to get to next. Be patient. There are sometimes people will say something to me. Jake and I were talking about this. They'll say something to me, and I go, that is wrong. Like, that's not in your Bible. And I got to choose. I'm learning. I'm not very good at it. Bonnie, Jake, I'm learning to choose wisely when it's time to correct them versus not. And there's times where I got to be really patient and go, okay, look, I'm going I'm to let that one slide. That's not even in your Bible, okay? And there's times where I do correct. But, man, be patient. I get really excited when I just see a kid reading his Bible. Even if he's interpreting weird crap, I'm like, you're 15. Like, you ain't going to get this, all right? But, man, you're reading it? Keep that up, brother. That's awesome. Stay humble, ask questions. All right, leading, following, teaching, learning. Now for the one I think is the most important for all of you, and I'm going to do it with you this morning, and I hope to God you accept the invitation. It's sending and saying goodbye. Okay, I'm not saying goodbye. Let me just say that first, okay, because I thought maybe somebody would be like, do what? Um, Sending and saying goodbye. The Great Commission, which is to be and make disciples, right? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and love me, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. All right, some of you guys know this. I'm sorry. If I'm boring you, keep up with me. This is the most important one. So this is where you, like, tap into all the energy you have left, okay? That Great Commission is incredibly intimidating because... The entire world is a big thing. It's a big thing. Just last night, did anybody go to the Christmas parade last night? There we go. Love it. I went to the Christmas parade last night, and I was astounded, astounded by the thousands of people that I had never seen before who were there. Anybody else? I saw people there. I go, I've lived here for eight years. I drive the same streets as you. I've been to like 19 gyms. I have never even seen you before, right? Guys, you know what's crazy? People tell me like, man, this town's too small to plant a church. I'm like, I don't know, man. 15,000 is a lot of people. And I know you're like, the sign says 10. I'm talking the greater. Okay, so listen, that's a lot of people. I didn't mean for that to be that big of a joke. But like, the reality is, guys, there's a lot of people. And that, that's overwhelming to me. Like last night, I was a little overwhelmed. I was like, dude. Who's going to disciple all these people? That's an impossible mission for one person to do well. So discipleship, great discipleship that leads and teaches always multiplies. It does not add to the room. It multiplies the room. And so that's what Timothy is doing, or that's what Paul is doing with Timothy. Go flip a page back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you then, my child. I love the discipleship. It's this family, close, intimate thing. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So important. But what I want to show you next is this. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see what he's saying there? It's four layers of discipleship. Okay, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. Do you see this? It's a multiplication. It's not just an addition. So we got to grow this thing far and wide. We need more people who can teach. We need more people who can lead. We need more people who can train. We need more. 
Because when there's 13 to 15,000 people in Cody, man, if you think that's my job to come to your job and to, and to disciple all the people in your job, man, you're crazy. Who do you think I am? Even Jesus said, you're going to go do far more than I could ever do. Why? He's saying, you're going to do it because I'm going to send all of you out. So when I graduated from the Watermark Institute, great, great, great institute, they gave me this. You know what this is? Any track athletes in here? It's a baton. Yeah. And so on this is written 2 Timothy, chapter, or 2 Timothy 2, 2, things you've heard me say. And what they told me when they handed me this, they were like, hey, listen, as imperfect people who have now taught and trained you and led you, we are handing you this and saying, as an imperfect man, now go and lead others. They handed me the baton. And some of you guys who've been a part of my 2 Timothy training that we do uh, twice a year at Outpost, um, I've showed this every single time. Some of you guys have seen this. I keep this in my office. That's the kind of ministry that we should be a part of, constantly sending people into places, handing over the baton of God's gospel truth and the way to follow him and saying, go and teach people the way of Christ. I'm sending you out. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to do here with him. And look at, what he, at the way he does it. So verses 1 through 5, he is going to charge Timothy into this sending ministry. Okay, he says, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing, which is his second coming, and his kingdom. Now pause. He charges him, and a charge is not a choice. It's a command. And it's a command to go for a purpose. Now, that's really important that you know that. All of you, are, I'm going to charge here in a little bit for a purpose. And the purpose is quite simple and clear. But the thing that is probably the most important about what he says in that first verse is whose authority it's under. Whose authority? Jesus' authority. He doesn't say, I charge you in my name. Do this because I, Paul, tell you to. Do this because your mom and grandma told me to tell you to do this. Because I charge you in the name of Christ Jesus and then gives Jesus his credibility. In the name of Jesus. I'm about to show you why that's so, you know why that's important, but I'm going to show you another reason why it's really, really important. That it's in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Paul, that he's charging him. Now, what does he charge him to do? He charges him to, after he just explained what the word is, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Okay? He's saying, listen. And you're going to see why he's saying this in a second. I'm going to show you. But teach God's word. Everything I've shown you and taught you, I want you now to go and teach it to others. You don't need new revelation. You need the word of God. Go and teach this. Now look what he says. Here's why. Look at the word for. For because... The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why is this so important? He's, he knows something that Timothy maybe is just now discovering, and it's something in the last two years that I have been in a hard-fought lesson in, and it's something, guys, let's just be real, all of you experience, which is... People-pleasing is incredibly hard to resist. It is ever, I don't, if you, if you tell me otherwise, and man, people's opinions of you don't matter, I, that's, I'm glad. You're one of the few people on the whole planet that that's true. The temptation to change the way we act or say things, 
because people don't like them is a something that all of us face. And Timothy, different than you, lives in a nation, in an empire where Nero is in charge and the murdering of, murdering of Christians, and this is a later time in Nero when he's getting crazy, crazy, is happening. Do you think in his church there's people going, hey, Timothy, man, I, we don't really have to say it like that. Hey, why are you keep calling us to this? Hey, why do you keep bringing up this idea that we've got to change our sexuality? Hey, everybody in our culture is okay with sleeping with the temple prostitutes. Stop telling us we can't do this. It's, it's normal. It's not, like, it's not like we're sinning. And Paul's saying, listen, in season and out of season, when people look, all of you elected to come in here to listen to me. So in season, you, maybe you want to listen to me. But if you decide there's a season that comes in my life where you don't want to listen, he's telling me and all of us there's still one thing I need to teach no matter what. And it's not dictated by your authority. Whose authority is it under? I'm under Jesus's. When we went to plan Outpost Community Church, one of the first things, one of the questions, most popular question I was asked, or was asked of our friends, was not, hey, where are you going to meet? What's the building? How are you going to get paid? Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't those things. It, it actually surprised me. The number one question I got was, under whose authority will Greg be under? Under whose authority are you under, Greg? All right, they didn't like my answer. And I started with a question. I said, all right, hey, I'll answer your question. But first, tell me, whose authority are you under? You want to hear something? This, this might blow your mind. Nobody answered me. None. Zero. I'm telling you, I got asked dozens of times. They didn't answer. I said, hey, look, I'm not going to answer you then. But here's what I will tell you. The scripture tells me that I'm under the authority of Christ. And when I go to stand before the Lord, I know who I'm going to stand before, and it ain't you. It'll be Jesus. And if I'm wrong, he'll help me. And thank God for his blood because it'll forgive me. But if I'm right, man, pay attention. You're under the authority of Jesus as well. You should take that seriously. And here's what's really great. Because I'm a people pleaser. I got struggle with fear of failure just like all of you. So I picked the worst job, right? Because I've got the job that nobody wants but everybody's got an opinion about. Right? All of you. And so here's the thing. Listen to me, guys. Chasing the opinion of man is like trying to run around a track drunk. You're not, you won't know what's left and you won't know what's right. You'll be getting in and out of your lane, running into people and vomiting in the grass. And let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an example. A month ago, I taught a message. I came down and stood right here. One of my good friends came up to me and in tears told me, hey, that's the most humble and meek message I've ever heard you teach. I said, thanks. Two days later, I got an email that said, hey, you performed spiritual abuse on the body with that message. Now, what do I do with that? I'll tell you what a person who's under the authority of Christ does. The person under the authority of Jesus humbles himself, says, I just want to listen for the truth in this. Because maybe I did say something that wasn't good. And I went and sat with my friends, and uh, I, I, it was a fight, but we got to the place where we finally realized. And then what did I do last week with you guys? I said, I need to apologize. There was something I said on that Sunday that wasn't good. Now, my brother heard something that was meek and humble, and they heard something that was abusive. And I wanted to own it. You see that? But when you're under the authority of Christ, it makes it easy to do that. And I don't have to do that for people-pleasing. I do that because I want to honor Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm trying to disciple the crap out of you right now by helping you understand something that you need to know if you really want to do this. Because I just told my best friend Quinn, I was like, buddy, listen. I was like, I'm realizing the best way to show up, shut up all the critics is to invite them to come do it with you. 
And I'm inviting you guys to come with me. Because as soon as you step onto this battlefield with me, you're probably going gonna to shut up about a lot of things. Because you're going to find out discipling people takes a lot of patience. Because in season and out of season, people don't really want to listen. I, don't, I have seasons where I don't want to follow God. I'm like, do I really want to do this? But praise be to God for my friends who love me and help me. All right. Greg went on a, but I'm back now. Be patient. He is sending Timothy, and he knows what Timothy is heading into. And so he's sending him, but he's also saying goodbye. I love this. Look what he says. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is Paul. He's probably in his 60s by now. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on the day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's two things I want to show you about what Paul does here that I think are just so brilliant for us today. And number one is that he tells us that ministry is for life. It's for life. Even as he's at the end of his life, he's penning a letter to disciple his friend and encourage him and exhort him and send him in his ministry as he pastors the church of Ephesus till the day he dies. And so I've been talking to Bonnie, and I'm going to be talking to my brother. I, I want to put together a family crest for the Brooks family. And, uh, and so that, with that comes like colors and logos and all stuff and, and a motto. There's a motto I, I've kind of come across uh, that I want to do, and it's these three Latin words, dumb habio spiritum, which means while I have breath. And I want the motto of my family to be while I have breath. And what it means to me is basically this. While I have breath, i got work to do for the kingdom of God because as soon as I'm out of breath, I'm going to be enjoying the kingdom of God. So serving in ministry is just like marriage in the sense that it is till death do us part. Till the day I die, I hope, and my deathbed, I want people to know about Jesus. Okay? Second thing I want you to see is that it's a ministry should multiply. He's ran this race, but now he's handing the baton off. He says, go and do what I've done. And a multiplying ministry of sending people into opportunities. Hey, go, and I want you to handle this conflict situation. You go, and I want you to talk to them about baptism. Hey, you go, and I want you to teach and and help them strategically think about how to run their ministry. Hey, you go and show them how to evangelize. You guys go. Go do it. I can't go to all those meetings. You go. Go, 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 go. When you do that, you know what it does? It leads to more disciples and it leads to more churches being planted. That's what it leads to. And I'm telling you right now, I'm looking forward to the day that some of you will go from being a a member to a community team leader because of your growth in Christ, because people discipled you. Going from being a community team leader to maybe a community team shepherd, maybe a ministry leader, maybe an elder, maybe you become a church planner. I'm all for it, man. Let's Let's let the Spirit lead the people. You're not under my authority as much as you are so much more under Jesus' authority. And he wants to see you guys go, and I want to see you sent. So let's talk application real quick, all right? And then we're going to wrap up, because I don't even know what time it is. My watch died. It's free rain up here. The names that are on your list, all right? Pull out your list. Look at those names. The names that are on that list. In the last month, have you sent them into opportunities? Have you sent them to disciple their children, to go resolve conflict, to make that phone call, to evangelize a friend? Have you prayed them into opportunities? Are you sending them? Are you giving them chances? Or are you constantly standing in the way? 
Are you sending and giving them chances to lead and to teach and to grow? Okay? Have you sent them in the last month? All right? Number two, on that list, if you were to get hit by a bus today, it's my favorite analogy, who's going to replace you? Who are you discipling to take your place? All right? If the answer is you look at that list and you go, man, none of these people. Man, I don't trust them. Then uh, what do you need to do this week to start adjusting your discipleship to giving them more and more reps and opportunities to take your place? It's the reason why Chet gets to be up here and gets opportunities to teach. I want to give the young man, the young man, we're the same age. I, I want to give the man a chance to do it. He's young in this opportunity. I've gotten to teach on a Sunday 150 times. He's gotten to teach twice. And so we're wanting to train, and, and, and there's some people in the room, they know like how hard behind the scenes we work to try to help these guys get better at doing these. I want to give people chances, even big opportunities, big ones that they can totally screw up. And we go, hey, listen, let's talk about it. Um, when you did this, that was really confusing, right? Hey, when you did this analogy, you didn't tie it to the point. We don't know what you're talking about. But you're good. We love you. Let's get ready for the next one, right? I'm looking at some faces because there's some people smiling. Kim's smiling because she knows, like, I've invited Kim to go into opportunity. She's like, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, that's okay. You're coming anyways. <laughs> All right? Hey, third, third thing I want you to think about is this. How is your discipleship of others being crushed by your fear of their opinion of you? Discipleship includes evangelism. How is your discipleship of others being crushed by your fear of what they might think about you? Put it to death. Galatians 1.10. Paul says, am I now trying to please man or am I trying to please God? Right? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What is he basically saying? If your goal is to please man, you don't serve Jesus. Because you can't serve Jesus and serve man. Last, I want all of you guys today. If you call in the name of Jesus, decide today that you're going to go multiply yourself so that the 10 to 15,000 people at Cody can have an opportunity to know what you know, okay? And let's do that, and let's do it together. Friends, there's going to come a day where it's, it's not God's best idea for me to be the pastor of Outpost Community Church. There's going to come a day where my kids are going to, they're going to graduate and they're going to leave my home. There's going to come a day where some of you guys are going to get sent and going to go pastor another church. Things are going to change over the next two decades. Jesus may come back. So are we preparing people? Are we uh, preparing the next generation? Are we leaving the church in good hands? Or are we hogging all the opportunities to ourselves, afraid of what they might do with it? Let's be about giving it to them and giving them the best shot. And maybe they be a better church than we ever were. Amen? Let's go. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your discipleship. Thank you for the spirit that's in us that teaches us and trains us. Thank you for my friends who are going to be leading us in song. And I pray that we can sing and worship and thank God that people came into our lives and told us the way and uh, showed us your word, who led us, who sent us. And may we do the exact same thing for the next generation, leading and loving, teaching and sending and saying goodbye. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you all stand. Let's sing to the Lord one more song.